Well, it's just wonderful to have a smaller group um, of brothers and sisters together for the next uh, few hours. We, we close out just before, at lunchtime tomorrow. So thank you very much for uh, staying on and uh, some of you adjusting your plans because this, actually this section was planned a little after the first section. But we thought it would be uh, great to get um, a group together who currently have um, some formal or informal responsibility for helping beyond their local church. So it may be that, uh, uh, like the South Africa, in the South African context, um, we're a little, because we've been going a little longer, we've been going three or four years, uh, we're now getting a bit more definition um, around different leaders in different parts of the, uh, the country. Um, or it might be uh, UK we're not quite sure who's who and what's what yet, but we know God's leading us and things are firming, going to be firming up um, in the next couple of months. Or the USA, which is kind of in between. South Africa, um, been going longer. UK just starting. The USA is a, another great little <coughs> uh, story that um, has been going a couple of years. Guys with great friendship in different parts of the country um, know each other from history um, and we're really thinking of the entire North America as something of a hub because a hub uh, is, a, is a group of churches who work out the mission more locally. So that's who this uh, gathering's for. And um, I think we're in for a great time. And I actually want to do a little bit of teaching uh, from the book of Crete. <laughs> I had a very deep sleep just now, still coming out of it. I want to talk a little bit from the book of Titus about the Cretan hub. Um, but before we do that, uh, why don't we just throw it open and have a little bit of a highlight session from the last couple of days. I think God has been exceptionally good to us. Um, I know I t- tend to be cup completely full, uh, but I just couldn't have asked for more, really. I think it's been an absolute, absolutely wonderful time. I felt carried along by God and by brothers and sisters, and it just seemed... God's oil's been on it, but I I think it would just be great to share. We're not sharing in a self-congratulatory way. We're we're sharing in a God-honoring way. It's so good to log things and and rejoice together and hear one another's perspective. I think that's a good way to honor uh, the time we've had. So um, let's uh, honor your brain. Start us off. Finding each other in, in, in some ways. We'll just have a two-minute crash course on what we think hubs are uh, to date. And uh, Sean A, get ready to click quite rapidly. So this is screen heavy, this first bit, and then we'll turn to some scripture. Thanks. I actually don't have any notes, Sean A, other than, yeah. So what's a hub? Not mentioned in, in the New Testament, but it seems to be a, a New Testament reality with some places emerging as centers for gospel advance. So we consider a hub to be a group of advanced churches partnering together to PNS churches around leadership, comma, usually in a geographical area. We don't just stuff churches in a geographical area together. In God's economy, 
And it is wonderful if we can do that because we do believe in actually serving a place or a region. We trust the geography will work out. It usually does, but it's not the driver. We plant together locally or further away. We strengthen together through some or all of those things, and that isn't even an exhaustive list. Who leads a hub? Well, you could think of a hub host. That would be a trusted uh, person, trusted by the external hub leader. Uh, They would need to have some administrative and hosting skills and be open to taking more responsibility in the future. Then a coordinator would take more responsibility than a host. Strong in values, relationship, record of personal and local fruitfulness. Something of a pastor amongst pastors and be able to facilitate incoming apostolic and other Ephesian 4 gifts. And then every every hub must have a leader, maybe an internal or or an external leader. But these four Fs would uh, characterize the kind of gift and contribution that a hub leader would bring. Okay. What are the goals of a hub? It's to provide a a structure for churches, a wineskin for churches to work together in an area. Um, It's also to provide a wineskin for Ephesians 4 gifts to emerge, whether these are resident or coming in from the outside. So why, why even use the term hub? Why not go straight for the A word? Well, many aspects of hub life do not require the apostolic gift. There's lots of church-to-church activities. So we don't want to overplay, overuse the apostolic uh, word, especially when it's not necessary. And importantly, it can be unhelpful to label things or people indiscriminately or prematurely. That's not just in terms of apostolic, that would be in terms of of, uh, any of the other gifts. So hubs create a context where Ephesians 4 apostolic gifting can emerge naturally or not without pressure either way. How might a national strategy emerge? Well, hub leaders or hubs that are involved in that nation might feel, you know what, that there is some wisdom in us doing things together, either for the sake of the mission in the nation or just for the, 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 the mutual strengthening of hubs. So hub leaders in a nation might decide, yeah, let's, let's uh, do stuff together in our nation. But we don't want to put the pressure, we don't want to put pressure on ourselves of having nations we, we love nations and we do believe they're from god but again it's a bit like it, it, it's if we overstate nations we're overstating geography and we don't want to do that we want to uh look to jesus and look to gifts that he gives that's where the life comes from and from there we will work in regions or nations okay let's let's think about the cretan hub would crete uh titus would it be comparable in any way to um, advance hubs? And once we've answered that question, we'll look at how to build with conviction and how to build with focus. And, and don't, please don't think, you know, if you think we don't have a clearly defined hub in our nation or continent or region, don't tune out. Remember, hub is a scaffolding for serving churches and helping churches work together. So please, when we say hub, get a goosebump, uh, goosebumps on your arms. Think of the planting, strengthening, and the, the blessing that can come through helping churches and helping churches work together. So is the, the, 
the Cretan situation comparable to Ahab? I think it is in a couple of ways. Titus, Paul asked Titus to work on Crete. He was asking him to work with a, with a defined group of churches within a larger movement of churches, which was really Paul's uh, larger movement of churches. He was the uh, initiator and the leader, but he said, please work with a subgroup of churches. It's joined by leadership more than geography. I know it's the Crete. I know he said go to Crete, but... The point, I think the, the primary issue was that Paul sent Titus. He thought, Titus, you've, you've been working, you've been helping. Um, I've been, he, he traveled with Paul, trained by Paul. He had Paul's DNA. And I think in Paul's mind, it wasn't so much that churches on Crete need help as Titus can help those churches in that geographical area. It's leadership more than geography. And it's, it wasn't a fraternal. He didn't send him to set up a fraternal. He didn't send him in as a guest speaker. He sent him in to build something. And Titus is about, like the rest of the New Testament, it's about planting and strengthening. Actually, in fact, which one is it more about? Just the plain reading of the text. More about planting or strengthening? Strengthening. Because the planting had already happened. And that's the only slight drawback I've felt with, with teaching this um, from this particular book now is that it is weighted towards strengthening, but I don't want us to lose the fact that that only strengthening was only needed because church plants are ac- they've actually happened and uh, they need some help. Okay, so that's uh, team dynamic. Oh yeah, the, the the last thing is there's a team dynamic. So Paul planted, um, but he didn't mature those churches, and that's a really good thing for us to log. Was it Steve this morning talking about responsibly leaving things unfinished? We don't want to leave things unfinished in an irresponsible way. Steve, were you talking about that? Jesus starts, Jesus finishes. He might use us to start, but then when we hand over, he's the great continuer and he's the great finisher so we don't want to be reckless when we plant a church or 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 plant a hub or gather churches to a hub we don't want to just you know in rugby there's a expression of a hospital pass you there's just too much you you quickly pass it and, and the next guy who gets it he's just all over the place that's not a nice thing to do but it is an expression of humility of dependency on god and uh brotherly um, honor to to say we can do this thing in team some of us are better starters and gatherers others of us are better maturers and that's certainly how the apostle paul worked he would gather and he wouldn't try to be everything to everyone and uh, he would entrust to others okay so let's move to um just the first five verses building with conviction um And we'll do just draw a few things out of the text. So Paul, a servant of God. Remember, the first five verses is Paul saying hello to Titus. But even within his introduction, I think he's already helping Titus with a feel of of the kind of things he wants Titus to be and to do. He says, I'm a servant of God and apostle of Christ Jesus. I see sent gifted servants uh, in that. Servants, there's an atmosphere in the new testament of churches um, of leadership both in a church and working with churches 
the atmosphere is very much the leaders are there for the benefit of the churches and not the other way around. I don't, don't know if you've had the unfortunate experience of spending any time in a church or a movement of churches. You don't realize it at first, but then suddenly you wake up one morning and you realize, I know what's wrong. There's, just, there's been something nagging you. I know what's wrong. The thing is the wrong way around. It, it is actually, it feels like the followers exist for the leader and the sheep exist for the benefit of the shepherd. You think, that's it. That's why this thing is just so yuck, um, that we want to avoid that at all costs. And that's why particularly the doctrine of grace, if we can be men and women who are secure in what God's given us, we don't need to draw security from others, which means we can serve with a clear conscience and, and, and clear heart, rather than actually unwittingly, maybe, maybe with good intention, but it's just cis. You set up an environment where uh, the whole thing exists for you your reputation or your well-being or, or your security. Servant of God and of others. <coughs> Apostle sent, authorized. And that would apply to all the spiritual gifts. Wouldn't it be terrible if we weren't authorized from heaven? So think of some of you church planters. Honestly, where did your authority come from? Like Andrew and C, who do you think you are? They're just starting a church. Remember when we started our first church, Ashley's parents said, you can't. Just start a church. <laughs> you know, that they, they don't know Jesus. Um, so they wouldn't have a paradigm for it. But it's a very good question, isn't it? Who, who on earth told you you could start a church? You can't just start churches. And we're actually, we're, we're authorized from heaven. We're commissioned from God. And, and that isn't to make us isolated. And I've heard from God. And so I don't want to hear what you think. There's, there's authorization that comes from God also through others. But we don't want to overstate that. You're authorized. We're authorized from God himself. Who said we could start a movement? Well, we feel God spoke to us about that. And that makes you very humble because God spoke about that. But it also makes you very confident because God spoke about that. And then there's, within this word apostle, there's giftedness. I think NK, we were actually, we were um, spending a few hours together and we were feeding on this this very passage and I think NK said something like imagine if there was no gifting from God um, imagine if if we were just left to our own devices we just had to grind it out so we go for God whether you're working into a church or within your own church the context of today and tomorrow is mostly helping churches we go as one's gifted God does things through us you, th- you think of um Belinda and Graham. Remember, they were being interviewed this morning by the most beautiful woman in the world. Um, and you, you just, as they spoke, you thought God's in this room. And these were two, two just faithful people speaking and putting glasses on and opening books. And then Graham, he just says and this, and I want to learn. The older I get, the more I want to learn from younger men and these incredible things. Gift, the gifting of God was in play. That, that interview has had a profound impact on so many people. It wasn't just lost between Donnie Griggs and NK and Rigby and Steve Van Rain. There was the gifting of God. Something supernatural was going on. We're gifted. How wonderful. He says, he says, Paul, I operate 
And I wonder if he underlined this or said to the scribe, underline this, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Note, please note and underline, we're building people, not a movement. For the sake, not of advance. How are you doing for the sake of? Um, we, we don't build, um, we're not primarily building a movement. That's a byproduct of serving the people of God. For the sake of your reputation. No, it's for the sake of God's elect. For the sake of your uh, salary. No, it's for the sake of God's elect. It's very clear. We're doing and we're building for the sake of them, their knowledge. And notice that it's not just for their general good. It's for the sake of their knowledge of the truth. Again, NK was talking about this. We need to teach people and bring them into truth, not just comfort. Especially if you're working in a very socially deprived area, it can, be, it can be tempting just to work for their comfort. No, it's got to be for their knowledge of the truth, not just their physical comfort. And uh, these two words, uh, this word elect, actually this word, the faith, uh, for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Interestingly, the, um, the original Greek translation of the word elect is elect. And the original Greek uh, translation of the word predestination is predestination. (laughs) And they're everywhere in the New Testament. We can build with confidence. This is a mighty confidence builder. We build with confidence. We don't go without this promise. Salvation is impossible without this. Acts 18, uh, God said to Paul in a dream, I have many people in this city, so keep on preaching here. Friends, keep on preaching. Keep on preaching. God actually does have people in the Rhonda Valley and in Tembisa and, and in Waterloo. God has them. It's, it would be horrific if we were just rolling the dice. No, there are elect. And then he says in the hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began in the proper time. Those three phrases speak of the enormity of God's massive plan. And as we help churches, as we help People come to much as we help God's elect. We need to be men and women aware of ourselves, God's massive massive plan. Before the ages, Christ was slain before the foundation of the earth, and He will forever be the Lamb upon the throne. This is an enormous thing that we're involved in. We're to uh, Shesh. Do you remember when God spoke to you about moving to Tanzania? Um, He spoke to you about the city of your. Just could you just say, please? Yeah, yeah. Near, near, just just elaborate a little bit. Nehemiah chapter one. And yeah, that's that's powerful. Sheshi had a, a sense of that, but obviously, even more poignantly for Nehemiah, um, I'm going back to the city of my forefathers. God has been at work. This thing is now broken down. God is at work. My two oldest sons have just got landed parts in their school play. And one has a, a major part, sort of a lead part. And then Ben is a hobo. <laughs> He's part of a group of hobos. And, um, and I said to him the other day, what did you do? What did you do, Ben, for four hours? I said, you're a hobo. What did you do for four hours at rehearsal? And he said, oh, the, the producer, I forget her name, said she wanted us all to understand the whole play, because then we'll play our parts better. 
So why are you reading through this whole thick thing? And when we, when we read through the whole thick thing, when we know the big plan, we will play our parts better. This big gospel of God. The gospel's not just John 3.16. It's Genesis right through to Revelation. It's not just personal renewal. Think of uh, 2 Corinthians 5.19, the great exchange. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Personal renewal is a, is a magnificent part of the gospel. But if, if, the, if we think the full gospel message is you can personally get right with God and we flog that, or you can personally get right with God and then you can personally go to heaven forever, what we will do is produce people who are very convinced of that because the seed does bear fruit. The, uh, the word of God does produce. But if we can sow a bigger gospel, that God is about the renewal of all things, comma, and within that you can be personally renewed or reborn, then we birth people into a full gospel where they're not just personally excited about the personal benefits, but they're excited about what God's doing across the board. And then we find we produce believers who are interested in societal renewal. Why? Because God, that's what God's doing. And if we speak about God gathering a people from Genesis to Revelation... And you can become part of that people. Then people from the get-go get, oh, I get local church. I get the people of God. Otherwise, we can have believers for 30 years. They're convinced of their personal salvation, but they never really get church. You know, they just show up when they think they need to show up. We need to preach the full gospel. And uh, the presence of God. We don't want to... We'll get ourselves in all sorts of knots if we just think of uh, the Holy Spirit as arriving on the scene in Acts chapter 2. Genesis 1. He was right there. Right there. The big thing. The the issue of God's presence in the Garden of Eden. The presence was lost because of of sin. And then then Genesis to Revelation is the restoration of the presence of God. So of course we're going to enjoy the presence of God in our meetings. Of course, uh, the the charismatic isn't just an add-on. This is a part of the full story, the full gospel of God. And then I think within this is also building missionly, um, elect and eternal life, um, maturity and mission, length and strength, uh, planting and strengthen, strengthening. Verse 3, at the proper time, um, manifested in his word through the preaching which I've been entrusted by the command of God. This for preachers is absolutely mighty and I think the learning is we build through preaching. At the proper time, manifested, God manifested in his word through preaching. So when we preach, some of you are preaching on Sunday, this Sunday, you're not just hitting points God is manifesting. We, we must have a very high view of preaching. I'm all for using media clips. I'm all for doing it innovatively, but we must not leave, uh, get away from the, the power of preaching. God has set it up that he manifests through preaching. So don't take your next preach lightly. And we build and preach as those entrusted and those commanded. And he says to Titus, my true child in the common faith. I love that. And I think there's a very powerful uh, double here. He speaks about a common faith. He doesn't go sectarian and cultish with you. I am your daddy and you are my children. He doesn't overplay the father card. He doesn't have an overdeveloped theology of fathering. He says, you are my true, true child. But this is a common faith. 
He says, within the common faith of Christianity exists our smaller family, but we're part of the bigger family. So we don't get too excited about our family outside of excitement about the broader family of God. We, we struggle for language for this, don't we? We say things like the dotted lines rather than solid lines around us. There's a common faith. But within that common faith, there are family units. Definite family units. And Paul was very up for this. He says, let's operate like a family. Let's use words like son and children and daughter and my, my beloved's uh, my dear ones, and you know, the, the, the love that Paul would express. Greet them, take them in. We're brothers and sisters, not just in a general common faith sense, but it's actually worked out through a family such as a local church, uh, a family such as Advance. God within the common family wants sub-family units. Now, if we only... If we land only on the common faith, you know, we're all part of the worldwide church. I don't see why we even need any subgroupings. We miss out on the, the joy of subgroupings and the power of mission and family that can come from that. Equally, if we just land on my true child, the whole thing gets a bit insular, incestuous, and uh, just a bit creepy, really. But if we keep both, I think we, we'll, we'll know non-exclusivity, but, but a definite joining and a confidence in our joining. Families have always been God's way. God himself is a family. Uh, Adam and Eve, tribes, the household of God. Number five, uh, verse five, this is why I left you in Crete. We build through others. I left you in Crete. This is why. I left you. This is why I live here and you live there. This is why I don't try to do everything. It's just like Jesus. This is why I left you. Three years, then I'm off. I stood looking. He built through others. It was a deliberate strategy to build through others. Hubs is, a, is an attempt. It's why we're, we're so embryonic as a movement, but right at the outset, we want ACPC to be planting churches, E+, various E+, courses to help strengthen elders. But right at the start as well, we're saying this is our intention. So, and we can get a bit of ahead of ourselves. We can imagine too far ahead sometimes, but that's, it's not, that's, that's much better than not imagining enough. Imagine Ephesians 4 teams serving different nations, regions, and so on. This is why I left you in Crete. Uh, we s- touched on this in, in the first Luke, Luke 10 part one. Overly busy apostolic teams, overly busy uh, teams actually produce weakness rather than strength in the long run. Don't be neglectful, but don't uh, go where you're not called to empower others. Um, so that you might put what remains in order... It's definitely building in team, but it's building thoroughly in team. So one starts, another finishes. Um, but he says, put what remains in order. I think in the NIV, it's straighten what is unfinished. And I love that. I love it when Paul mixes metaphors. <laughs> That's, he would have got a black mark from his English teacher. Because you don't straighten what's unfinished, you straighten what's not straight. 
and uh, you, you finish something that's unfinished. You don't straighten something that's unfinished. But this is a very powerful mixed metaphor. Um, a question I ask that I want to recommend to you when you're in a situation, it's either with a person or a church or a situation, ask what isn't straight and ask what isn't finished. It's a really great question when you're helping a church. And no church will be ultimately straight. No church will be ultimately finished. It's a great question to keep asking. Where isn't this church straight? You might find it's in some leadership relationships. It might find it's in an in a area of doctrine. But what, where's, what isn't finished? Where's the deficit? It might be a church that thoroughly enjoys grace, but they're highly unmotivated because of their understanding of the doctrine of grace. It's, it's an unfinished understanding of grace. You don't need to scrap the whole thing and start again, but we need to say, okay, so they've got part of it, but they don't have the full understanding of grace. Or they're very, very diligent, very, very disciplined. They're really heeding the biblical exhortations to do things, but there's a drivenness about about that. Okay, that's not straight. That's not finished yet. How, How is that church leader treating his wife? Is it a straight way? How's that church treating their neighborhood and their town? Are they treating it at all? Are they, are they conducting themselves and their community in a, in a manner that's straight? No, not really. So, okay, let's help, help this church with their, with their public witness, how they're presenting themselves. Okay, then, could we just open our Bibles? Now, I just want to read a little bit from, um, from verse 5 uh, onwards. And my aim just in, in these minutes is to wash, just to allow some of the text of this book to wash over us. We, I, it won't be, I trust it won't be overload, but I want to look at building with focus. Now Paul instructs Titus how to do things with this uh, group of churches. So what I'd like us to do, please, is we'll just put uh, the scripture up. And if you and your, just in, we won't read out loud, if you could quickly scan those verses. Just take 30 seconds to scan whatever verses go up on the left-hand side, and then we'll pull out the main theme. And my question to you is going to be, uh, what are they building with? So just, just read, sorry, you read. So chapter 1, verse 5 to So now he's okay. So stop reading. So he's now saying, um, "This is how I would like you to work with these churches." You got the picture. He's done his intro. Um, these points we've been looking at are more soft. They're more sort of atmospheric. And now he says, "Here are some here are some tangible things to do." So what are these verses about? What's he instructing Titus to focus on here? We're talking about building with focus. What should we focus on to imitate this? Yep, that's it. Thank you. Click. There you go. Build elders. It's interesting. Right, the first thing, first thing he says is help elders be elders. That's a great place to start. 
And it may be that you, you have to prioritize. You think, I can only visit that church once a year. Or I can, uh, I can do one visit and four group Skypes. How can I? Lord, I don't know. Well, I can only get there once. Just relax. <laughs> Go for the elders. Well, ha- well, fly the lead couple over and they can sp- spend, spend three or four nights in, in your home. Uh, get a couple of the elders in. Uh, it's a great place to start. Don't panic. Don't be driven. Don't. His burden is easy. His yoke is light. There are ways to strengthen and build churches. And the first way is by focusing on elders. Okay, please scan the next lot. It's 9 to 11 in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, it's verse 1 and verse 15, not 1 to 15. (coughs) Just speed read. How's he, uh, what's he, what's he instructing Titus to focus on here? So we focus on elders, we build elders, and then we build sound doctrine. Yeah. There you go. Sound doctrine. Hmm. What doctrines? Well, whatever they're lacking, but um, some foundationals are more... Some doctrines are more foundational than others. But you can ask the question, what's not straight doctrinally? What's not finished? The various main doctrines. But have a look at uh, these verses now. So 11 to 15 and then 3 to 8. Those two chapters. So we build elders, we build doctrine. The question to answer here is thinking in terms of doctrine, we especially make sure they understand the doctrine of grace or the gospel. Did someone say that today? There's been a bias. Ben, did you just say now in your feedback, there's been a bias towards the gospel? Yeah. Yeah, good. (laughs) Yeah, The power of the gospel. The ongoing power of the gospel and the gospel of grace. Okay, next little section of scriptures. Just four verses, 12 to 14, and then 8 and 14, not 8 to 14. Chapter 1 and chapter 3.
We may get a few uh, slightly different answers for this. But what do you think he's directing Titus to build, to focus on? Sanctification. Okay, any others? Well, sorry, what do you mean by sanctification? Holiness. So a, a expression of Christian living. Yeah? Riggs, were you saying something? Works. Yeah. Discipleship. Godliness. I think we're there. So I, I use this phrase. He helped build a, a, a culture of, I think he was saying to Titus, help the people be committed and actually live it out. And then in brackets, the poor, because there's an emphasis here of, and, and actually um, some commentaries say this phrase, good works, that's used several times, specifically means good news to the poor helping poverty, the underprivileged, and, and so on. So I think we need to, to say that there's both in play there. Stephen Rain mentioned that this morning, the holistic nature of the gospel. But I've, I've noticed experientially that church leaders will quite often say, when you say, what are your top needs? They'll almost invariably say, we need more leaders. And then they often don't say a doctrinal thing, but there often is a doctrinal thing in play, especially grace and the gospel. But then the other one that pops up to their, their sort of felt need, felt need of leaders and felt need of, I wish people were more committed. It just happens again and again. Um, uh, a couple of us were in um, uh, a church in uh, PE recently. I mean, this could be any of our churches as well. What's, what's your biggest need? Our people get the gospel but they're just not committed. And, I, and we looked at that and we thought that the lack of commitment is because they only got a section of the gospel, not the people of God, section, fullness of the gospel. But helping churches um, come into commitment, I think that's, that's, that's something that we can help with. Something that uh, we should help with. We want people laying down their lives. Often a voice from the outside can really uh, catalyze a church in that area. Okay, next one. Isn't it interesting how how Paul encourages Titus to do some very broad, big, general things. And then he says, hit a couple of specifics as well. What, what could we say? How could we summarize what he's uh, saying that Titus should build here? Dis Ash, where from? Yeah, teach them to teach. Very good. That's that's. That should be on the, that's very good. Not just because you're my wife, that's very good, I've missed that. So he, he is, teach the older women to teach others. Help them set a good culture of discipleship. Disciple making disciples, what else? Excellent, multi-generational. Often a particularly a young pastor uh, may struggle to get his arms round the generations. He may be fixated with one group more than he, he, he should. So helping with gen broad, multi-generational. Maybe even good if you're going in. Um, so let's gather the older men 
uh, Tom and Una, um, who, who were here, they're spending a weekend with New Gen, and he's doing a men's camp. Isn't that great? He's downloading into a group within the church. Any other comments on this? Gender redeeming. That's fantastic. Fantastic. Any others? Yeah. 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 Life witness. Yeah. 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 We were, Ash and I were chatting to a lead elder's wife and she, she was looking pretty harassed and uh, she said over a meal, um, there's just not enough women being involved. I feel like I'm the only woman doing any uh, discipleship um, and that's something we can really help them with. It doesn't necessarily mean that Ash needs to go in and do a ladies' meeting, but if she did, it would certainly be along these lines, helping the older women teach the younger women. But it can be coaching uh, the lead couple and the eldership team and their wives. It can be coaching them in how can we draw women into effective discipleship. So I, we just think that's the things you've said was wonderfully unpacked. A broader, build broader leadership and Build, build more broadly than just into elders. Anyone else on that? Yeah. 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 Okay, case study, um, you're helping a church out and you've got a, a leader. Um, he may or may not have elders, but there's a group of older men and older women uh, who feel disenfranchised that they're not elders. And the lead, the guy, he says, I don't want to make them elders, but I, I do know I need their input and their wisdom. Uh, what, what do you do? How do you help him? How do you help the church? How do you help those older men or women?
Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Briggs? Yeah, yeah. So good.
Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Great. Yeah. Okay. Was it sorry, Claire, yeah? That's good, and it and often elderships, especially young elderships, need help. There's a, what does it look like to honour the older generation? You know, we can help help them with that. Okay, very good. I'm calling time there. Uh, next group, can you just put up? Um, just click again, Shane. Thanks. I you may do better than me. I just <laughs> have put the these were like the these were the verses left over when I'd finished carving up this book, and I've just thought. Speak into some specifics. Um, but please just quickly speed read and see if we can do better than that. Obviously, you know, those verses develop the family components, but then there's employer employee dynamics. Exactly.
It's the third one down, Steve. Um, I think it's also we could say um, some of these things were were contextual to Crete. Um, I think we can ask what is contextual to your situation. So um, obviously the issue of the role of women, uh, women in leadership and so on, and homosexuality, these things are absolutely top of the pile in terms of relevant issues uh, in the UK and in the US and increasingly here in South Africa. Um, Be submissive to rulers and authorities. You might not need to teach that in America and in the UK, you sure as anything need to teach it here in South Africa. It's a contextual thing. It's, It's harder to do that here. Okay, next, uh, there's just three more. Uh, chapter 3, 9 to 11. How's Paul, what's he saying to Titus? He's saying, help in this area. What's this area? What do you think? Did you say conflict? How to deal with conflict? Yep, I like that. Anyone else? Disciplining dissidents. It's conflict, discipline. This is great. Yep. Great, you got a a lot more out of it than I did. I had this. <laughs> Call a spade a shovel, right? Yeah. Because South Africans really struggle with that, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And it might not be discipline, it might just be disunity. Get help before you need it. Yeah. But this is a really big one, you know, and, and it's not the nicest part of apostolic work, translocal work, but it's really important to help defuse situations, help solve situations, bring wisdom. Excellent. Okay. Verse 12, 13, and 15. What's this one about? Remember, he's, he's saying, Titus, I want you to strengthen these churches. Get some healthy hub life going. What's, what could we say about this one? How's he saying build? 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 Yeah. Build relation. Lee? Hey? Teamwork? Yeah, I like that. Nice. Interdependence. Sharing. Sharnay, can you click? 
I thought of that one. Don't build over dependency on yourself. He says, hey, I'm also going to send Artemis and uh, Tychicus to you. And if you could come, come and see me in Nicopolis. Nic- <laughs> Nicopolis. Um, hey, and when, when Zenos, uh, the lawyer, comes through and Apollos, and the implication being that they are strengthening you, see also that they lack nothing. So it's, um, hey, listen, I really think you need Sheshi's help on this. You know, I know you, I know you think you want Stephen Jacks, I think, but I think, Steve, I think Sheshi would be good. And when he comes to you, I'm just giving you a heads up, you would be of real help if as he's helping you, you could help support with this whole Nairobi thing that he's involved with. A lot of what we do is we, ma- we, we kind of hook up, we connect, uh, we match make. And we're doing it because we believe in the body of Christ's interdependency. We believe we don't have all the, the gifts, but others do. I think he's deliberately saying to Titus, get others involved and help Crete be involved in other situations. And finally. Yeah, can I just, can I just stress this one? Just this, this last one that, that, that's come up. We mustn't feel guilty about building a movement in this regard, we're all really clear, I hope. Certainly from everything that's been said up front, it sounds like we're really clear uh, over the last couple of days. Really clear that we're building God's elect and we're building churches, not a movement. However, the way God strengthens churches is through churches helping them, translocal gifts helping them. Let's really be innovative in hooking up, inviting people in, sending people out, hooking people up. Um, these conferences are great. It happens organically over meal times, but we can also do it deliberately. Last one, uh, two verse seven to eight. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Can be good to what? Anyway, having nothing evil to say about us. I think this one is about being personally above reproach. And this is a very sobering one to end on. Guys, we can do very well with the top eight. And then we can do poorly ourselves. Paul says to his dear son Titus, in all respects, as you help churches, as you conduct yourself translocally, be a model of good works. In how you talk, how you eat, how you drink, how you spend your time, how you conduct yourself in casual conversations over tables, the way you speak of others, sound speech, integrity, dignity and then he says that cannot be condemned there is an accuser and condemner out there and a very effective way to put a spanner in the in the wheel of God's mission is to bring allow condemnation to bring condemnation on us especially if it's deserved it's one thing to have condemnation uh, or gossip brought about you if it's not deserved and you need to handle that wisely with peace in your heart but it's quite another thing if, yeah, I'm worthy of condemnation. You're right. 
so that an opponent, we have opponents, so that they may be put to shame, not us. So, so when they think of you, they say, you know what, I don't, unless I make something up, I don't have any evil to say of that woman and that man. Last year in August, um, Ash and myself and our three boys had the real privilege of, of being on a holiday. We're actually in the UK for ministry and we tagged on a holiday, a 10 days holiday, just us. And um, we, we studied the book of Titus, family devotions, over 10 days. It's you know not very many verses. It was a great thing. And it just so happens that um, throughout that time, that was when dear Mark Driscoll and all the controversy surrounding him was really blowing up. Some of you might remember Matt did a lamenting, godly lamenting blog at about that time about it. And uh, my sons know Mark Driscoll. They remember him. They're aware of him. They, the older ones listen to some of his messages. This was a current thing. And when we came to, to this verse, we'd, we'd already spoken about his situation and so on. And I kid you not, the three of them went white when we said, guys, you see here, verse 7 and 8, that was, that's really the thing with Mark. That's why he's experiencing so much opposition. And by his own admission, uh, he hasn't been a model of good works in the way he speaks you know, he, the, the guys went from on the way he speaks. He, the guys got him on what he said and how he said it. So he is absolutely genius on manhood, masculinity, sex. But he spoke about those things too much. And he would speak about those things in a way, in, in such a way that wasn't a model of good works. Now, God knows we could spend a long time talking about all the brilliance, all these gifts and wonderful things, and I'm not reducing the whole Driscoll controversy to this, but this was a very major thing. It was the amount he emphasized certain things and how he said certain things. You can say the right stuff in the wrong way, and it's not, and you're open to accusation. And our boys just went white. I've got it here. Really, Dad? That? Yeah. Exactly. Very good. I think also combative speech. It's it's certainly with um, with Mark. He and he got away with it for so long because of just the massive gift on him. But he would be combative and critical and overly strong in in how things were brought, and that eventually catches up. You know, it can you, it, you can get away with it because of gifting and for a time and so on. And I'm not for a moment saying dial stuff back. We need to be all in and going for it and blowing trumpets and, and, and so on. But uh, let's just read it again. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, 
and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Good. Okay, guys, we're going to do five minutes, um, and it's going to be the most action-packed five minutes of these three days. Please could we be in groups of four? And I'd like you to take, so we'll just, if we go into groups of four, we've got about nine groups. Um, please could you guys, can you just put the list up? You take the first one, you take the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. In three minutes, please come up with one, two, or three ways that we could help a hypothetical church with these things. Could be things that you bring, someone else, of course, resources or whatever. But we just want to log three, two to three practical ways. So you guys are doing building elders, building doctrine, grace. Just actually, how would we do this? If you can just get into your groups, you're brainstorming for three minutes only. Above reproach. So I think you're looking at things like team and auditing each other's lives or something. Does any. Yeah. One, two, three, four. Does anybody not know what they're doing? Do you guys know what you're doing? Yep. This is how to's. How?
just be finishing up. Right, let's learn from each other. So the first one, guys, how do we build elders? Right, we got four things. Wait till everybody stops moving their chairs so we can hear. All right. You guys ready? So ready. Hey, guys, we ready? Sorry. <laughs> All right, four things, uh, building elders. Um, this is our, our best um, order of this. Um, one, you want to set a biblical dream, which is teaching you know, who they are, who elders are, what they do, why we need them, just really laying in the foundational basics. Then you want to, we would want to sit with the elders that are there or the elder that is there and, and help him learn how to identify potential new elders and to call them into this process of becoming elders. Um, so we're setting a biblical dream. We're helping the guy on the ground or the, or the team on the ground identify and call new elders um, and then help that team form a process, uh, a practical process that, that would include um, bringing those elders through, uh, giving them increasing profile and feedback and, and, and then and all of that prior to them just being presented to the church. So it'd actually be a process uh, that they've gone through. Uh, and then finally, um, helping the, the eldership team on the ground learn how to uh, retain elders that last for the long haul, not just we put guys in place and then they drop off when they have a bad day or a bad month and they lose their job, but how do we, how do we help put, put soberness into these elders so that they, they, they really last through all the different seasons of, of their life as long as God would have them serve as elders in the church? Great work, guys. Big topic. Um, so we, we just felt it was a really, so we're assuming that there's a church where there isn't maybe strong doctrine in place and, and we felt that you'd definitely need to engage with elders on the importance of doctrine and linking doctrine to, to everyday life and to the practice in church. Practice must flow out of doctrine. And so, so there might be teaching that's needed at that eldership level and maybe teaching, uh, you might need to call in an Ephesians 4 type of teaching gift to help establish a, a doctrine framework. Um, yeah, we, we battled to get more practical stuff. Can you, can you think of anything else? Um, we talked about thinking, looking at what you're preaching about and the, the benefits of having a balance of topical and expositional which forces you to look at passages you wouldn't otherwise look at and maybe just looking back through what you preached the last couple of years and seeing if it's covering everything or if you just got a couple of you know, things you love to talk about. Um, we talked about resourcing the church. So we said that there's such a plethora of stuff out there that people are feeding on and it's not all helpful. So why not um, have a kind of a go-to list of resources, books, articles on every subject that you can think of to help people in your church know where they can go for teaching on specific issues. And we talked about um, how on 
Sunday preaching because we're all wanting to reach and speak intelligibly to non-Christians as well as to the people there. We're not always going deep on doctrine, so you do need to supplement that somehow. And your home groups aren't always the best place for that either. So you need some kind of track in the church where you're giving people teaching on deeper things, whether it's in-depth Bible studies or working through books together, that kind of thing. Um, And especially, I guess, for the men don't know what else. Absolutely. We, yeah, that's what we got, grace and gospel. Um, we felt like, start right at the beginning, lay the foundation through preaching, what grace is, what the gospel is, so that you've got a foundation to grow from. From there, help the, uh, well, move in with some, some leaders and identify the grace areas in the church and what, what are the indicators that there is no grace or there isn't. Um, one of us said it's you can kind of move into a church and you can sniff out whether there's grace there or not, um, you know, or there's an overloading of grace. Uh, so to try and move in and, and work out where those areas are. And then uh, after you've done that, to help that congregation to apply what grace means. Um, so for, for some, you know, come from a, a background where you're incredibly legalistic, um, and you walk away from that feeling, God only wants me to do something if I don't want to do it. Um, that's the only time God ever wants you to do anything. So that's your, great, your test right there on call. God doesn't want, I don't want to do it, therefore God wants me to do it. And, uh, and others just feel like you can't have fun at all. And, and Christianity is this real drag. So, so it would start out laying the foundation of grace. Number two, I'd be, be, find the grace I'd indicators. And number three, help that congregation to practically um, apply what grace is in their lives. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, on, uh, it's brilliant to lay the foundation of grace. It's also good to be aware that we can leak the convictions around grace. We don't always. If Peter and Barnabas needed to be rebuked to their face by Paul in Galatians when he wanted to withdraw uh, from being a fresh gospel face to Jewish Christ followers. And, uh, you know, these are the pioneers. These are the apostolic pioneers and, uh, uh, you know, real advocates of a great message. And yet they went through a moment out of just fear of the older brothers from Jerusalem coming down. We've got to be so careful that we don't uh, sort of think, we're a grace church, and think we, we've got that buttoned down. We've got to keep monitoring, be careful, so other stuff doesn't creep in from time to time. I think the one other thought that we shared on this is that it's not only about knowing that our relationship with God is based on grace, but actually being gracious with each other as leaders as well. So there's a kind of grace... Uh, yeah, culture of grace and graciousness in dealing with each other's differences, failings, and believing for each other, grace for each other to grow as well. Okay, so um, we were talking about commitment in terms of um, putting into practice um, what might have been taught, and most of our conversation um, was around really discipleship, um, laying a foundation of discipleship, creating a culture of discipleship um, and, and really then 
practically putting in a framework within which discipleship can operate. So whether that's, we were talked a lot about one-to-one, um, but whether that's uh, one-to-one or small groups or whatever, that's the place where um, doctrine becomes real life, I suppose. Um, and we're just talking about how that needs to um, be mutually beneficial so that um, those that are disciplers and those that are um, being discipled are both receiving um, from whatever that framework or structure or culture is. Um, so we were talking about that. And then in terms of um, building commitment to the good works of the poor, I think um, just putting that, that biblical vision of reaching the poor and marginalized and loving them and caring for them um, into church life, whether that's um, through preaching on a Sunday or whether that's through something smaller um, than that. We just thought that laying that out, and I suppose once that's laid out and people are, are grasping for it, then giving people those practical opportunities of you can serve the poor by serving in our food bank or whatever it might be. Um, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to add one thing that um, also like good works, it's so important that they're to the poor. Just in addition, wealthy people need them too. And so occasionally a good work can be for someone who has a lot of money. They actually need love and attention in a way that, you know, we, we can forget that. It's not def- good works is to people. So we don't want to define that by your bank account. And the other thing is that the statement to me in the 12 to 14 was a sort of a thing about the Cretans and who they are. And I just think we can't, we can never neglect remembering the quantum leap it is to come from secular society into church life. And that's just such a big thing. And it's just a lot of what NK was saying and all that kind of stuff. All the thoughts, everything, everything just needs to be redeemed and discipled, and that takes time. So this, their point bleeds into ours, but remember, two verse, two chapter, chapter 2 verses 2 to 4 had to do with um, older men teaching younger men, older women teaching young, younger women, especially in the areas of godliness, marriage, and family. And uh, Lex, remember, said that right at the heart of this is that you're building a countercultural community. That, uh, that puts the gospel on show or can uh, basically work against our gospel proclamation. And uh, it's meant to have a salt and light impact into society. But these, the big idea that we spoke about is really life-on-life discipleship. And uh, we thought the best thing you could do, you go, you go to a, a church and you go to the leaders and you just ask them, what is your life-on-life discipleship strategy? And most churches will probably just, their jaws will drop. You'll have to firstly alert them to the need that Sunday preaching and uh, courses don't uh, substitute life-on-life discipleship. And even much of small group ministry is more facilitating than intentional life-on-life discipleship. And then to really push them to have a plan 
to activate life-on-life discipleship in their church. If they then ask you for ideas, I think we're all in the shallow end of this, you can suggest some ideas, but a gift to a church would just to put the question on the table and then to hold them accountable to that because that really can leak. The other stuff is so much uh, easier. And then uh, the other idea is uh, what Tom Tapping is doing at, at this, this weekend is simply saying to a church, hey, maybe it'd be great for us to just get hold of your men. Organize a men's camp and we could come, or a women's camp, or maybe a marriage event. So especially uh, impacting people in the areas of gender and marriage and parenting. Um, we had speaking to some specifics. Um, for me, the, the overarching idea, which I'm not sure if we've really dealt with, but is, um, is just being contextually wise. Because Paul actually says he's quite brutal towards the, the culture of Crete. He all Cretans are liars and lazy brutes and drunkards. And, uh, I, I, and, but then he says, and the reason I left you in Crete... And so there's this incredible mix of engaging that context and culture, but understanding, not being naive about it. And I think if we are to speak into specifics, we really need to be careful that we're not superimposing our challenges and our church culture onto theirs. Um, and, and actually asking, what, what, what are some of the things culturally that you are struggling um, against? So it seems like... Um, this culture was, was struggling with a work ethic, struggling with being honest, um, struggling with gluttony. And so some of those specifics spoke into that. Um, so we, we talked about three, three things because one specific was, was teaching the younger women to, to love their husbands and children, training them, which, which is amazing. So there seemed to be a breakdown of, uh, of marriage in this context. And uh, we were just saying we've recently gone into, into a context where um, two young marriages in a church, just another context from ours, um, both of the wives have decided to divorce their husbands because I don't love you. And, uh, and so we sat with the elders and, and, and taught them on how to teach on covenantal love that, that is not how you feel because most of us have been discipled more by Hollywood than the Bible. And so if, if I'm not feeling it, then I'm faking it, and so I'll just divorce, etc. And so just really helping them to, to um, uh, teach on covenantal love. And then there was another, the, actually this, this context in which they lead, um, where a leader had been discredited before. And so one of the specifics here is authority and uh, teaching people to submit to authority. So they came into a context where uh, there was a real sense of a, a lack of credibility of leadership. So they taught much on honor, honoring leaders, and uh, saw, saw that situation change. And then the final one, which is a kind of a, a lazy, brute kind of uh, thing here, we've gone into um, Australia at times, and because of the whole social system of the, of the dole, um, have, have often found there's a real sense of laziness there and really have tried to teach on stewardship and just the call to be faithful stewards to whom much is given, much is required. So three examples. Great. We had the uh, thing about helping with troublemakers. 
So we said um, the first thing would be to try and help the eldership team establish a strategy for handling conflict before it occurs. And that so often you just don't want to be trying to sort something out because it's flared up. But if you're going in, you know, could you just say, well, look, how, what kind of strategy would you put in place? The second thing we said is we'd just be available to be a coach so that, you know, if somebody's going through something, you know, do they Skype you, do they call you, do they just talk it through? And I was thinking of doing this, I'd like to say that. The third thing we'd say make a difference is that we'd be available for what we call high-end serious issues. So if something particularly came up with the elders themselves, that then you'd be able to go in and get involved. And finally, we'd remind them of the gospel mission and tell them to stop shooting each other. Um, we had helping build to other influencers, a couple of practical things. We said make introductions, hook them up on other influential areas, share the wins. We know, you know, if you know who does what best, get that person in to do it. Um, and along the same lines, take people with you on visits. Um, like Taryn came recently to do a youth camp in Joburg, and he came and he brought his youth guy with that kind of thing, as well as getting that church to come and visit in different scenes. Um, Look for opportunities on missional teaming. Um, Encourage existing healthy relationships. If they've already got Zenith the lawyer coming and they've already got that, that's brilliant. You've already got help coming in. Um, Help them recognize what they can offer. Send them to other situations. Um, Offer them as help to someone else. Something that's great is video clips from different scenes. Some people have already been doing videos of, here's these guys we've been having a week with showing this in our church. Those are great for kind of personal hookups. And that's it. We had the last one, be personally above, above reproach. I think uh, we just talked about modeling accountability personally and corporately, encouraging that um, within the team, seeking accountability within and without. So as a team, holding each other accountable, but also externally um, being accountable um, beyond you. Um, and for that to be genuinely uh, workable is to invest relationally uh, so that there's some genuine mileage there and uh, you've got some uh, you can genuinely be vulnerable because vulnerability um, in that I think in just in terms of that leading out on that somebody needs to uh, to lead personally in that modeling it um, also talked about that sense of group responsibility so kind of uh, Titus was representing Paul and ultimately represent, we're representing Christ. So um, there's a sense of, uh, I don't want to let Paul down um, and I don't want to let, I don't want to let, I don't want to dishonor the name of Jesus. So that sense of encouraging that, that um, understanding that we're not just kind of, it's not about our reputation, but it's about Christ's reputation and uh, ultimately, again, saying we're modelling a different countercultural community as a team and encouraging them to do that. Good work. Lord, thank you so much for this time, Lord God. Um, such treasure, Lord God, in, in just learning um, and just working together in all of this, Lord God. We're just so grateful for this, Lord God. And, um, yeah, we pray, Father, that 
whatever it is that we've gone through today um, at this point in time, Lord God, that you will really embed it in our, in our hearts, Lord Jesus, that we will go out of here, my Father, and, and, and do it, Lord Jesus, um, and apply every single thing that we are just talking about and learning, oh God. So rich, so much treasure. We're so grateful for this in Jesus' name. Amen.